Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, this is Desert Fury here and Roberto. And we are here with a very special guest, Sean Beeson. Uh, Sean, how are you? Great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. I had to rush uh, home from work because uh, I worked a little bit later than I wanted to, but uh, it happens. So, Sean, uh, before we get started, would you like to tell our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself and uh, what it is you do? Yes. Yeah, I'm actually a composer by trade, and that is my profession. And so I, I write music, primarily orchestral music, for multimedia, uh, games, films, trailers, advertisements, uh, and even ballets and concerts and music for, for instrumentalists. I do a little bit of everything these days. Man, you are certainly uh, spread yourself around, don't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, real quick, do you? how did you get started in the business of uh, making music for uh, different people, uh, video games, films, music, and so what advice would you give someone who would be getting into that uh, line of business? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I got into it just kind of naturally uh, as I was writing music when I was like 11 years old. Um, I started to kind of just write really basic, simple pieces of music, but um, I've really been writing music since since I was that young, um, and I'm 31 now, so I've been doing it for, for 20 years. And, uh, you know, of course I was playing video games before that point all the time. I grew up as a Genesis kid, and uh, so, I, you know, I've never, I've never stopped playing games. And it just so happened that when I was, like, 18 or 19, like, music and video games went, kind of changed into being something that was much more it was much more the music became much more rich because of of the use of of optical media and that you could store digital music on in games you know instead of having uh like chip tunes or things that relied on the the sound chips of the consoles and mm -hmm. so it started to sound a lot like really like ho hollywood films or sounded a lot like uh tv soundtracks or tv scores and um, I just was kind of like, wow, that's that's what I want to do. I want to play games, and I want to write music, and I want to be able to do both of them together. And so I started doing it when I was like eight, 18 or 19. And I, again, I've been doing it now, doing that for 12 years I've been pursuing it. Very cool. And Yeah, for people that want to start off, I would just say, just do it. Just use the Google stuff on the internet. The answers for pretty much everything are there. And don't be afraid to ask questions. And don't be afraid to just do something and uh, be terrible at it. Because you probably will be at first. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's part of the process. So, so did you 
just drop everything and, and, and pursue music or did you have a, you know a, a job that you were were doing at uh, when you're 18 or 19 like a, a day job and then still doing music on the side yeah uh, a little bit of everything I was in college actually getting a degree in composition right so I was actually studying music uh, classically um, and it the, the program was much different than than what I was doing at, at night. Like my my day job of being a student, and my night job of, of doing this kind of music that you can you can do in your basement or you can do in mm -hmm. your garage was um, was very much different. And and the uh, the conservatory very much supported me and uh, helped me along the way. But they were two different sides of of, of a coin you know they they didn't always uh mesh well with each other mm -hmm. what i was doing and so um you know i just worked summer jobs and i had been working a job up to that point and had saved enough money to basically take some time off during a couple of of the summers summer semesters and just focused all of my energy on writing music you know all day every day that was like my primary focus and that kind of helped launch my career and build my portfolio. And it really made me know after that point that this was something that I wanted to do. And more importantly, it was something that I could do um, because up to that point, I just wasn't sure I could swing it or wasn't sure I would have the, uh, the determination or drive to do it. And, um, now it's just kind of become it's it's a lifestyle now mm -hmm. and not so much a career yeah that's awesome <clears throat> so as someone who is musically in the in the uh media industry how are you able to get your music out there do you ask people like hey here's uh my stuff and uh if you want to consider me here's a portfolio or do people come up to you and ask you hey would you could you score this game or or uh, film or anything like that? Mm -hmm. Um, at first it was a lot of soliciting. Mm -hmm. I, I would just, if I wanted to do an animated film, I would just search usually for people that were in animation in my area, which usually was, was none or game developers in my area in mm -hmm. central Ohio in, in 2005. Mm -hmm. It was like, no, you know, it's nobody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so um, then I just would start to search abroad. I would start to talk with other composers. I would start to offer help to, to other people that were doing things. And and so, you know, I, I would do projects here and there that were very small and they were unpaid, but they were nothing big. Mm -hmm. And then gradually, uh, you know, I would meet someone that was working on a project with me that it was free and then they would pull me along to another project that was paid a, you know paid a little bit of money um and then i would use that money to upgrade part of my studio or buy some new sounds um you know it would be reinvested back into my career and that that trend has just kind of continued uh, and and there's people that i work with now that i've been working with for, for 12 years so like i can go back to you know 2000 2000 you know 2005 2004 
when I first started working with them on, you know, old Nokia cell phone games, <laughs> where the, the music was a MIDI file and it could only play three notes at a time. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, from some of those earliest clients, I could I could draw a tree out of having like four and five degrees of separation, you know, and, and the one guy I'm thinking of in particular, he, you know, hooked me up with a, a developer who hooked me up with another developer that I wrote a bunch of music for their project that got me connected to uh, a different client in a completely different industry, but it was the same style of music. And so just constantly generating music for different people really has, has been the key. And it is difficult when you start out because there's you're going to have a lot more downtime than what you are productive time actually scoring real projects. But it's important to just never stop writing mm -hmm. because when you stop writing is, is when people stop listening. And so as long as you continue to write and continue to push your stuff, people will continue to listen and eventually it will result in something. Hmm. So really, it's obviously it seems important to build, start building bridges with other people that have the same interests within the industry. Um, Really, though, I was listening to Sunborn Rising before we called you. Actually, I was cleaning my house and I had it playing the the um, soundtrack to it. Sweet. And, yeah, it is sweet because it, it's very epic. And, like, when I listened to it, I kind of felt like I was listening to something from, you know, Lord of the Rings or playing World of Warcraft with this this great, you know, symphony or orchestra playing this this awesome music. Where do you, where do you draw your inspiration from? Is it different artists? Uh, just being somewhere in general, a location that kind of just gives you this vibe of, of inspiration, video games in general? Do you have a certain thing that you draw inspiration from? Yeah, yeah, I think I draw a lot of my inspiration from my, my past as a musician and kind of the repertoire that I that I grew up around. The same way that someone that produces um, like really great electronic pieces of music for the game industry might come from a background of being like a, a producer of EDM or might have been a DJ or might have been someone that was doing remixes. Um, mm -hmm. I pull a lot of my musical core from my earliest days of being a composer that, that exclusively wrote music for the piano. And so I think that has led me to, to want to do stuff that's symphonic, that's orchestral in nature. And then, you know, melodically, a lot of my stuff is, is very, it's very memorable and very easy to hum along to. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's because of my background as, as a church musician where my you know my role is primarily to lead people in singing and and to kind of play so that a a vocalist or a choir can sing along and so i've i've always in the past been an accompanist like playing for other people so i'm often having to uh bang out a melody in one of my hands and support that melody with um underlying 
kind of rhythmic comping and, and, you know, harmonic playing that supports what they're doing. And so I think that's, that's the way my music kind of, kind of sounds like is stuff that could have a singer, something that could have words sung to it. Um, and I think in that sense, it's not really that much different than being a, a producer of like pop tunes. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is that instead of me uh, using, you know, guitars and a kit and, a, and bass, uh, you know, I'm using I'm using the orchestra as my palette. Mm-hmm. Not so it's yeah, it's not super. I don't think it's super sophisticated. I think the the sounds that I'm using, um, you know, it might sound that way, but I think generally the core of my my music is very very easy to digest and. Mm-hmm hopefully very enjoyable it is very easy to the ears too it it, it is enjoyable to listen to and, I, and so with a lot of your music do you have any uh being a composer specifically do you have a composer that you like to listen to uh maybe growing up or even today that you were like man he's he's the man like i look up to him um it, it could be you know anyone from you know way back when or even today do you have any composers that you look up to yeah, yeah, of course. And, um, you know, I think I, I really have loved, in the past, a lot more. I've really loved uh, Yanni. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up listening to Yanni. I grew up listening to uh, Philip Glass, also a pianist. Uh, I grew up listening to, um, like, Scott Joplin, mm-hmm. so, like, ragtime piano. Just a, a lot of pianists. Debussy, Chopin, um and, and so I think that's also kind of like why I became a pianist and why I got into composing is because I loved, you know, all those composers that use the piano is, is their primary instrument. And, and I've also kind of gotten into like, when I was younger, I got into Van Halen and uh, Meatloaf and Beach Boys and um, yeah, a lot of different, not your typical kind of uh musical influences i suppose <laughs> no it uh, you know john williams is great and and Hans zimmer is awesome and they do amazing stuff mm-hmm. and it definitely inspires me but um you know i i think that if i could have pulled off the performing and could do something like what yanni does that that would have been awesome and uh, I would have gone by the name Shawnee, Shawnee, <laughs> until until I got sued. But you know, I, I always wanted to, to to pursue something like that, right? A, a career in performing, writing my own music, performing it, just for the sake of people enjoying it and and liking it. And then you know, you kind of get a little older and realize that. There's all of the, the traveling that's potentially involved and all of the performance anxiety and the fact that you're constantly in a spotlight, you know, whereas as a, as a studio composer, you know, what I am now, I just go to work behind my house in some shorts and sit in a <laughs> studio all day by myself and can kind of just do, do my own thing. Well, that sounds a lot more relaxing than, than touring and everything. Yes, it is. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, do you? I don't know how much time do we have left. A couple more minutes. Do you? Do you have a project that you worked on previously that you might consider your favorite? 
yeah, I I think the the biggest one that's that's been released is um, Sunborn Rising, okay. and that yeah. that is the latest one, and it really is something to behold. Not even just because of I'm not saying that because of the music, mm-hmm. because of what the whole package is, and um, the music is almost all of it was written for this interactive immersive novel mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a reading experience and the music actually changes based on your reading speed um and based on your location in the book and based on even chance random variables sometimes will change the music um sometimes slightly sometimes a little more drastically the music will change and so I basically scored an entire reading experience. That's, that's um, pretty different. It it is, and it's, it was six months roughly of of work on it. And so it's the book is is set to be released here. The interactive portion of it is set to be released here soon. Um, the, the hard copy book is actually out. It just came out in the last couple weeks. And the soundtrack, of course, was just released in the last week. And so, it, you know, that's close to me just because I spent so much time on it. And because I, I have seen the bigger picture of kind of what's going on behind the scenes with everything. And it's a it's a project that um, it's all very much in its infancy. But I, I truly believe that it has a very long lifespan and some, some wings that it's going to take off. And, uh, I just am, yeah, I'm just happy to be involved with it. And the people I've worked with gave me the opportunity to kind of just experiment with the music and, and do whatever felt natural to kind of the book and what felt natural to me. And I, I think the result is some of my most distinct thematic writing it still is very basic in terms of of how it's written because it's being used for a book right so it's not like um a grand symphony with a counterpoint or whatever in it Mm -hmm. but i think that it's really it's very effective with with the reading experience it just works very well yeah, it, it sounds like a really rad project, and just like I said, I was listening to it just a little bit ago, and just everything put together, certain points in the moment or in the music will will put goosebumps on my skin while I was sitting there listening to it, and just just the way that it was all put together is just it it's excellent. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna flip uh, a little bit because uh, you had talked about having an Xbox One earlier uh, before we started the interview. Um, so real quick, are you a gamer? And if so, what got you into gaming in your favorite game? Oh yeah, of course I'm a gamer. <laughs> yeah. And what got me into, what got me into gaming? I'd probably say my dad mm-hmm. and I, you know, I just, I can't even remember a time when, when I didn't have games growing up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just because my, some of my best memories as a kid is from playing games. Like, I couldn't tell you what I got for my, my fifth birthday, but I could tell you about the birthday and the Christmas that we got a Genesis and a Super Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. And I could tell you the birthday when I got a PlayStation 2. And uh, 
you know, the, the gosh, the fond memories I have of, of playing all those games. And even now, you know, I just am, I'm agnostic when it comes to gaming and I'll, I'll play, you know, stuff on the iPhone or I'll play stuff on a console or play on a PC or really wherever a good game is, is I'll play it. And the only thing that limits it is the amount of time that I have, which is not as much as what I'd like, but, uh, yeah, games are awesome. Very cool. Um, you more, are you more oriented towards single player games, multiplayer games? I, I'm, I, I, well, definitely now I'm oriented more towards single player because right. I kind of live in the sticks and uh, our internet is, it's okay, but uh, the the la- the latency on it, the yeah. ping is pretty high. So any kind of competitive multiplayer stuff is like FPS is pretty tough. Yeah, but um, you know, often too, it's like I game in five or ten minute stints. Like if it's on my lunch or uh, you know I'm just taking a coffee break or something, I'll just play for five or ten minutes and then pause the game. <laughs> and that's usually how it is. Yeah. But I just catch it when I can, and and uh, sometimes it's at night, and I fall asleep when I'm playing. But uh, yeah. So what are you playing right now? Just if you could name a few. Yeah, uh, I discovered a game called Grim Dawn, which is kind of like a Diablo three clone. Okay. I've been playing that and uh, Doom. I've been playing the new Doom. Um, I've been playing a full of VR games on the Vive, oh, and yeah, Turmoil, like oil, an oil tycoon mm-hmm. kind of a game. Yeah, were you about to say what, something, Kyle? Yeah, what uh, what do you think of VR? Just personal thoughts. When when you put that screen over your eyes, how do you feel? It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. It's yeah, Putting it on your head like that, VR is is the future, but not the VR that we have right now. Right. Somehow it's going to change. Somehow it's, I mean, eventually it's just, it's going to be completely free roaming. It's going to be completely wireless. And we already have that capability Mm -hmm. in in our cell phones. And the only thing that's holding it back is that the cell phones are just not high-powered enough as a GPU. Mm-hmm. But in four years, by 2020 or 2021, why can you not, using, you know, at that time, Bluetooth 8 or whatever, using some proprietary uh, near-field communication protocol, connect that to a wireless headset that uh, will just display those visuals straight from your phone to the headset? Right, it's um, that it's coming. That's what oh, it's gonna be. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and not only for gaming purposes, but I could also see going for you know educational purposes. Like uh, recently, I read an article where they have a virtual tour of Chernobyl set up to where you put the VR on and you can go tour around what what Chernobyl looks like before the disaster and everything. And I think of like you know World War Two. Well, we can't live World War Two, but we can. Maybe go back and relive historical events that took place in World War Two or World War One or any, any historical type thing. I feel like VR can take you back in time and almost make you relive the events of those times, which I think is super cool. 
Oh, absolutely. And there's there's games right now that, are, that like the blue, where you're just under the ocean. That you know, that's it. Yeah. It's not a game. It's just a surreal experience. And even the Star Wars game, that new one that just came out, it, it's only like three minutes of actual gameplay. But I'll tell you what, it put goosebumps all over me the first couple times I played it because it's like this. This is it. Like this is what people have wanted to be in VR, to to hold the lightsaber and to to hear the music. You know where it's it's John Williams mm-hmm. and stormtroopers are running at you and you're blocking their laser. You know their blasters with your lightsaber, and you're swinging around and it's going. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, yeah. Like you physically, <laughs> like you cheer, like you're playing games that make you jump and playing games that make you feel tired and playing games that make you hop and skip and run and and it's like that's isn't that ultimately what we want with some of these games is to be so much into it that we're into the game and i think the only limiting factor from it really kind of exploding is is how it's prohibitive because of its cost and because of of the logistics you know of it that as soon as it, as it becomes cost effective, and we're we're getting there. Oh yeah, for sure. Know? And in fact, I think a company like Apple or Google, if they really pushed a phone and did, weren't making ridiculous profits, they could probably have something to market in in less than in less than four years that could do do subs- good enough. To, you know, they were, well, I guess what I'm saying is they already have stuff even right now with like mm-hmm. the Gear VR. They already have things. Mm-hmm. But just making it so that even your middle of the line phone can do that stuff and making it popular and uh, it's it's really easy, I'm sure if you have friends that haven't done it, I'm sure you know that it, it's really easy to be like ah, how good is it? Or like, oh, it's kind of a fad or, you know, I'm really going to be into it. Just like my wife. <laughs> and until, when she tried it, she was like, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's like, yeah, it is, isn't it? Uh, I, I tell you, it's pretty crazy because at work uh, a few weeks ago, uh, we had a elderly client walk in, and she pulled out of her purse the, uh, uh, the, the headset. And... I turn around, she's like 70s, mid-70s or so, and she let me, I've never tried VR until this experience, and she let me try it, and she put the headphones on me, put the gear set on, everything, and it was that underwater demo where the sharks come swimming at you and stuff, and like, it is incredible, just, just like, it, it kind of scares you too when you see the shark coming right for your face, because you really think it's going to do something to you, but then you turn around, and it, it just swims off into the distance, which I don't know. I, it, it's incredible what what they're gonna do. And like you said, twenty or uh, twenty twenty or twenty twenty one from now, who knows where VR is gonna be and at, at what progression it's gonna be. It, it'll be incredible. I, I'm just excited to see what the future brings. Yeah, and there's a lot of breakthroughs, um, you know, with with graphics technology and even now with with audio, where the you know they can do kind of uh, basically like ray traced audio. Where it can create, it can simulate the audio in a space, um, at a different level than what it's been done in traditional engines. That it's, uh, 
it's going to be really exciting to see all of this kind of come to fruition and and you know really what's amazing is just even like uh, Nvidia announced the Titan X Pascal version Pascal version which is you know it's it's pushing like what almost 12 teraflops yeah it's yeah. wow <laughs> it is it is expensive but it's like in 2 years that will be that'll kind of be a, a middle of the range yeah kind of a, of a it'll, of course it'll still be high end but like it will be the middle of the range cards will nip on the heels of that mm-hmm. uh you know and we've reached a point where it's like I never thought I would say this, but screen technology needs to catch up with the, the graphics technology. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think and, I read... And, oh, I was just going to say, I think I read somewhere recently where I can't remember if it's <laughs> NVIDIA or AMD. Um, they have a card now. It's a mid-range card, but it can run VR. doesn't run it like super well like the super high-end cards do, but at least it can run it. And uh, I was reading, I think PC Gamer uh, reviewed it, and they said it, it actually does... Uh, its job really well so it's it's go it'll i can see it being in a lot of homes here hopefully soon mm-hmm. and so yeah. i was just surprised by yeah. that yeah the amd cards you know for 200 bucks roughly you can you can be doing vr stuff and uh you know v, the vr stuff is great and i think once you know the the little displays and headsets and the optics get even higher resolution it's going to just be even more mind blowing and you know cuz now it's pretty good but you can you can tell when things are lower res yeah or at least i can but you have to keep in mind that it's powering two two 1080p screens at uh at 120 120 frames per second so it's really you know it's really requires a lot of horsepower but uh but yeah even just in the last year you've seen video cards be able to almost double themselves in, in speed. And, you know, again, the only thing that's, that's, I think, limiting the adoption of this technology is just the price. Just expensive. Oh, yeah, the, the buy-in is, is is just way too high. At least, for, even for me right now, like, I can't afford a VR headset, but I can afford the card, not the headset just yet. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, that's thing is that uh, even the most affordable cards can do anything on the average screen that somebody has yeah it's only when you start to talk about screens that are that are displays that are hundreds of dollars or even a thousand dollars plus that you really need to start talking high end you know but even then it's like most people can't tell the difference between uh 1080p and 2k and in 4k and 60 frames and 80 frames a second and all the other technology that's associated with it, people, you know, a lot of people I think have a hard time telling the difference, but it's there. But oh, it's only there. For the people that are that are the hardcore people or the people that that buy into it and can do it. Yeah, definitely. And for those who can't tell, to me, it's just it's night and day, at least for me, because like we love playing Destiny on our Xbox Ones, um, but it runs at thirty frames a second. And when I go to something like Halo Five or Battlefront, it kills me because those those games are 60 frames a second and then going back to Destiny, it hurts. It's a whole different story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just experienced that with a game when I, I was playing uh, Doom and it's I was running it at 100, 100 on a 100 hertz screen and uh, 
then I I was flipped over later and was playing Bioshock, the original one. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it it was running at sixty frames, but it, you could it felt unresponsive. Yeah. Like, I was kind of like, come on, like <laughs> go go, and, and I was someone that never thought that you could actually feel the difference, mm-hmm. and I'm even sensitive to that stuff as a pianist. Like, when I work with technology, it, there is, like, an inherent latency. Sometimes as little as, like, 4 to 8 milliseconds. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, like, 30. I can tell the difference between 20 milliseconds of latency and 30 milliseconds of latency. That 10 millisecond difference, I can tell. Right. It, and But between 100 frames a second, 100 hertz, and 60 hertz, it was night and day. Yeah. It just almost felt unplayable. That's, that's now, I, now I sound like a jerk. <laughs> no, 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 no. I understand. I completely understand. And I, I feel the same way. All right. This will probably be our, our last question. Uh, so it's kind of, I'm mixing both here. Um, as far as gaming soundtracks go, uh, what is your favorite video game soundtrack that you maybe constantly go back to? And oh, yeah. what is your, maybe your, your thoughts on the way soundtracks are headed um, over the years, going from Mario to, say, something more modern like Halo? Mm-hmm. I think uh, some of my favorites. I don't know if I can just do one. Is the composer really hard? All right, how I about your top three? One, yeah, there we go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that uh, the original, the original Strider, not the new one that was Xbox Live. Uh, I'm sure that one's fine. I haven't really played or listened to the score much, but the original Strider on on in the arcade at Sega Genesis. I think has an amazing score. It just it it has so much energy to it, mm-hmm. and it constantly just pushes the boundaries of harmony. I mean, so many games back then had really pleasant melodies and, and really uh, comfortable harmonies that went along with them and felt like really gamey. And the Strider soundtrack, there's lots of parts of of that that music that is dissonant and is actually displeasant, but it just is, it works so well. And, uh, I, the next one I would say is like Banjo Kazooie. Mm -hmm. Great game. And it's a great, and it's a great score. And I think that it just really nails the, uh, the importance of efficiency in music, like a good melody can be reused over and over and over. You just have to dress it up a little differently and use it in in, in prime opportunities and know when to not use it. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people could, that are into game soundtracks, into game music, could probably hum some of those, those me- you know, melodies from Banjo-Kazooie because mm-hmm. they were just hammered into people's heads. And, uh, you know, Grant Kirkhope is, is a buddy of mine, and, and I grew up listening to his stuff, and I think that it kind of inspired me to want to get into games. And, uh, you know, I think the last scores, I would have to say, are, is the stuff from the Elder Scrolls. Yeah. Nice. I love those games so much and in the music. The, there's only really about two pieces of music from the entire score that I can regularly recall. Yeah. Right, it's not like Strider where I could hum almost every piece of music from it, or like Banjo Kazooie where I could sing the, the themes to you. You know, there's really only about two themes from Morrowind that I that I can remember, 
but I can remember the way that it made me feel, and mm-hmm. I can remember the way that the music kind of was paced, and I can remember the the marriage of the visuals with the score, and how like integrated that experience was. That um, I think listening to that score outside of the game, it it wouldn't have probably made my top ten. But listening to the score while experiencing that game made both the game and the score what what they are. And I think that that's why it's on my list because there's so many times where the music, especially like the exploration music, doesn't do a whole lot. Right. Musically, but it does a whole, it does so much for the atmosphere because of what Jeremy Soule has kind of, how he crafted the music and how it sounds and how it plays with the whole package that um it still holds up yeah i totally agree because i always go back uh to morrowinds uh, a lot of times just to play it uh to experience it and i know exactly what you mean because jeremy he does such a good job just in capturing that whole look and feel of of uh morrowind Oblivion. I can't remember if he did Skyrim. I know he did the theme for Skyrim. I can't remember if he did the music for the game, but he does <laughs> such a good the, job. Or all the modern ones, I believe. Yeah. And so, yeah, I know exactly. Jeremy Soule is one of my favorite video game composers. Um, just because I, I grew up with that sound, it felt like. And he does such a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great, it's a great score. And, um, you know, I think there's lots of other games in that same genre that have phenomenal scores as well like kingdoms of amalur mm-hmm. is great score it's, it's stellar but you know it's it might kind of fade into oblivion a little bit quicker because maybe the game wasn't as successful as is what morrowind or oblivion or skyrim yeah it's been and uh, one of my favorite video game soundtracks uh the guys on the podcast always make fun of it. I talk about it every episode. <laughs> it's Beyond Good and Evil, but Christoph Harrell, he did the music for that game, and he does – that music is so diverse. Um, if you haven't heard it, I would suggest – I would definitely suggest looking up the score from Beyond Good and Evil. It is fantastic, and um, I think you would really enjoy it. Chrono Trigger. I can't believe I left that yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That game is amazing, and so is that soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, the soundtrack is very good. Yeah, that definitely, I don't know, that might be number three. You think so? Um, yeah, might, no, it might knock off my number two. But yeah, it's great. It's uh, it's a great score as well. Well, Sean, I think we're going to wrap this up now. Um, we want, we want to thank you so much uh, for coming on the show and, and talking about uh, music and gaming and it's great that you are, you know, a huge nerd just like us, and we love seeing that uh, among our guests. Yeah, total nerd. <laughs> well, guys, thank you for joining us. Uh, until next time, have a rad day. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the...
Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.